Well, good evening. Tonight we are going to be talking about Genesis chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 11. We're actually going to skip over 10. And we're not going to do necessarily all of uh, all of 11 either. And I think what I'm trying to do with this class is make it a more of a an in-depth study rather than just barreling through. And I'll give you the reasons for why I'm, I'm skipping. Some of it is because, you know, well, I'll take a step back. What is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is, to Hebrews and Jews, the Bible. For them, their Bible essentially stops at Malachi and is it does not include, of course, the New Testament. What it represents is, like we've talked about for the last few weeks, it is, it is many things to the Jewish people. It is a record of their past. It is the Word of God as it has been disseminated from God's Holy Spirit, what we would call the Holy Spirit, they call God's Holy Spirit, through man and disseminated um, between uh, uh, mankind. Part of that, which is very important to the Jewish people, is a record of genealogies. And what we will see in Genesis and in many other subsequent chapters is very important to the Jewish people to establish genealogies. Who is related to who? What groups you belong to? Um, Even up until basically the modern era, it was very important they kept records, very detailed records of their past, who their ancestors were, their fathers or grandfathers, and so on. Um, And when we're talking about the Old Testament, we're talking about the tribes. There were 12 tribes of Israel. We'll talk more about that in subsequent weeks, but... You know, the 12 tribes or groups that the Jews were, were organized into is very important for them, for their identity. Well, part of the things that we're going to be skipping from time to time are those records. They are important. They have meaning. It's not to say if we're skipping it, it's not important. I think for this class, for the, for the purposes of this passage through Genesis this time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go past some of that. We can always come back. And in in future lessons, we can come back and talk more about that. But I think the point tonight is what we're going to do for chapter 9 is wrap up the flood, which we've been talking about, kind of leading up to and talking about for two weeks. Now this is the third week. And then we're going to move past the flood. And so I think with that, we will just wrap up the flood uh, right now by asking if you would like to uh, read uh, Genesis chapter 9. We are going to read the whole thing. We're going to read 1 through 29. Who would like to read Genesis chapter 9 with me or for me? God's covenant with Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be, free, will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed. For in it, in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature 
that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign between, this is the sign of the covenant. I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbows appear in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. I want to ask, what, and you know, you probably know what I'm going to ask you, what is the meaning of this passage? We'll start there, or meanings. There's a covenant, yes. There is a covenant which seems to be, covenant, did I spell that covenant? This is what you would call the first major covenant, yes. And what is the covenant here? God will never destroy the earth again from the flood. Okay. From God. No water, total water destruction. Who is it to? Noah and his sons and all the living creatures. There you go. Noah, sons, all living creatures. Um... This is important, isn't it? This isn't just to mankind. This is to everything he has created, all the living creatures. What else do we get from this? Go to all corners of the earth and multiply. There we go. Cover the earth. Yep. Now this isn't this isn't part of that. This isn't, if you go to the corners of it, then I won't. This, the covenant stands by itself, and then there are additional commands. Yes. And then those are, yeah, spread out. Be fruitful. Multiply. What else? I want to I want to ask sign is does anyone's translation say bow not rainbow because this is one way to interpret as I understand the Hebrew word here is bow um, what is a bow <laughs> at least in this sense what would it be this is this is a bow for a bow and arrow so this is really 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 important okay and it's not just any bow whose bow is this this is really important God has decided he is going to show you a weapon that he possesses Make it something that is part of an everlasting covenant to not destroy you. As if to say, I want you to remember, here's my bow. I'm going to set it in the clouds. 
this is going to be a reminder to you that I will not, in a sense, use this to flood the earth and destroy it again. I think that is a very symbolic thing to do. If you think back to this time, the world was engulfed in war, America, you know, and thank you for your service. Um, we don't have, you know, for the most part in the United States, daily war, right? We don't have the streets filled with warfare and shooting and, and bloodshed like there is in other parts of the world today or like was in essentially the entire world back then. This would be a very significant symbol for all peoples who have experienced war to say, as I look up into the heavens and I see this thing that is beautiful cast into the shape of a weapon of war, this is actually a symbol from God saying, don't worry, I'm not going to use it. Think about that for a minute. There's other parts of the Bible that talk about God's armor, his weapons. Where else can you think of where that's talked about? Exactly. So there's other parts of the, the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that talk about the the armor and the weapons of God. In that case, there's the you know um, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, shoes that spread the gospel, the uh, shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. So it's not just armor; it's a weapon. And here we see the same thing: a symbol of God's you know destructive power <laughs> made into a symbol of peace. How awesome is that? Right? You won't think of a rainbow the same way again, probably. <clears throat> There's more here. What else do you see in here? How have things changed? Maybe I'll ask you that. Now, as we've gone through from Genesis 1, the creation of the earth, right? Um, mankind was established. He was established with a certain expectation for what he was expected to do, his purpose on this earth, his relationship with, with each other, with, you know, between man and, and man, and man and woman, and um, his relationship between man and nature. Has that changed here? Yeah, and, yes. So here, commands, uh, let's say here, commands and uh, allowances, maybe. We kind of have like our first rule, like our second rule. The first rule yeah. was not to eat off of the tree. Right. But people now says you cannot kill another human being. Ah, yes. Spelled out. Spelled out. Um, Essentially, don't murder, or what? Or what? Or the same thing will happen to the murderer. Bloodshed. Or eye for an eye. Here we have essentially a kind of rewriting of the rules for how man is going to live, right? Um, It's still the same, don't murder. But does God think that's not going to (laughs) happen? He knows it's going to happen. So he establishes now, and remember, this is, this is a different part of our history than grace. If you're born into the, the, the era of grace, as any of us were after Jesus, this is no longer something that we're expected to do, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Here, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man his blood shall be shed, for the image of God has God made man. Why is God saying that? Why is he saying that? Is it because he's mean? Because they were so evil before. Yeah. Put some restraint on that. So we have restraints. Yeah, well, we're making chapter four saying we're boasting about killing mm-hmm. somebody that is you know, boasting to his two wives, you know. Yeah. 
like that with some great feet. Ah, yeah. right. Like boasting about killing here, people. Here know, we go. After uh, Cain killed Here we have, it's exactly right. Go ahead. Sorry, you are going to say oh, something. I was just going to say also, um, he's re like reiterating to them that he made them in his own image. Because this is Adam it. knew that, but probably it's been quite a while since then and it's been lost. They don't know that they're created in this is really super important and I think I don't think it's a mistake that that is in the same passage as how we can now treat animals made in God's image um, right before right after that you must not eat meat in life okay um, the very beginning God says now and, and it's kind of assumed until you get to hear that they would have known, it's kind of implied in, in chapters 1 through 8 that, that animals were kind of off limits. It seems as though the expectation was pre-flood that man was not allowed to eat meat. Now, he was allowed to eat the fruit of, remember that you were allowed to eat anything in the garden. The garden implies you can eat plants and their products. You're not allowed to eat meat. Here we now have a fundamental change in the way God allows man to relate to nature. What was the first... Um, job given to mankind. First and second jobs, basically. You remember? Gardening. You're gardening? <laughs> and then what? Kind of to what? What was he made for? Think, think big picture. Care for the earth. Yeah, we were made to care for and rule over the earth. And, and I think what this is getting at is that's changed now. God says, okay, that was pre-flood. You screwed it up. You have shown that you are not capable of being entrusted with the care of the earth from the standpoint of you're going you're gonna to treat it like a botanical garden. I think that's kind of what this comes at is you're going to treat it like a nature preserve. You can have some things to eat. You can't have anything living with breath, essentially any animals. You certainly can't eat people. Now things have changed. So here God is saying you can eat meat. That means you can kill. Man is allowed to kill animals. And um, <clears throat> not just for self-defense, but to eat them. Sacrifice, which means, you know, we'll talk about that. And I kill it just for the sake of offering it to God. And, and they did this, again, remember that uh, um, uh, uh, Abel did this. He was, a, he was a, um, a tender of livestock. But it seems as though now this is a much different thing. I think, my two cents, this is in here right next to the thing about mankind for, the, for a very good reason. He wants to show mankind, you are now allowed to kill animals, but you are not allowed to kill other people because, why? Man is special. Man is special, and God really wants to drive this home. Mankind, I made you in my image. You are my sons and daughters. Do not kill each other, right? Do not kill each other. You can kill the animals, and they're making a distinction. Animals are not made in my image. Animals do not have souls. They are not everlasting. I, he makes a covenant with them, in a sense, that he won't destroy them, but that doesn't mean that they're special enough to keep from killing. What do you think about that? He's kind of a... Yeah. But we don't like. Yeah. It's not Depends on how you say it. Yeah. But God's now saying the same things to Noah that he said to Adam and Eve earlier. Yes. Like he says, 
because he told them to be fruitful and multiply and build the earth. He told them that they were made in his image. So he started trying to start up Noah again. With, yep. Like the way he started with Adam. This is really important. Noah has become a new Adam. He is now the progenitor of the entire human race. He is. Because his sons married daughters, and their children will have his DNA, in a, in a sense, everyone on earth is related to Noah, just like they were related to Adam. There was a restriction on the animals, though, too, yeah. not to consume the blood. Yes. So, so this is not... This is not... Yes, they're allowed to eat them, but there are restrictions on this. And this is super important. Blood. Um, this will make it all the way to the New Testament. This will make it all the way to the New Testament. The council in Jerusalem, when the Jewish leaders are confronted with the Gentile the what what is happening in the world that the gentiles are now receiving the blessing through Jesus that they thought was only promised to the Jews should i get circumcised should i follow the law what do you remember they said you don't have to get circumcised to become a believer in Christ you don't have to follow the mosaic law but we don't want you to what remember consume blood, consume blood from Animals sacrificed to idols. Basically, don't sacrifice animals to, to idols. Don't consume their blood. So this is something very important, right? <clears throat> Why? Why is this important? And think again about, I'm going to back up to, there's three questions we ask in this class. What are they? Yep. Why did they write it and who they wrote it to? Okay. For a Hebrew... What does blood represent? Life. Yes. Blood is life. Now, many cultures see a different part of our being as representing our life. It's our breath. And even in the New Testament, um, the Holy Spirit, pneuma, means breath. The Holy Spirit, and that word is sometimes used, pneuma, is sometimes used for a living person, their spirit, their breath of life. But here... God makes a very clear connection. It's not just your breath, it's your blood. Your blood is your life. This will have huge ramifications later in the first century. Why? Does anyone understand why? You can just take a guess. Can you ask that again? Yes. Think about the transition from the old covenant to the new. The, the, the fact that Jesus came to this earth and he brought a new covenant or New Testament to us. There was something very important that he had to give to satisfy God's wrath. And what was that? He had to pour out his blood. Blood is important to God. He made it for an important reason. We have a physician here. He can tell Again, I'll tell us all about what blood is. We can tell you what it means. Here it's life. And later in the, in the Old Testament, we will read a passage that says, without the spilling of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is important to God. He doesn't want you to mess with it because this is important to him. And yet, not any old blood. It's had to be the blood of the perfect one. Yes. Jesus Christ for the yes. perfect sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Very good. But aside of that, there's, I mean, hygienic reasons for no. consuming blood. And, right. You know, consuming blood of an animal, you can get all sorts of horrible diseases. Isn't it cool how God was so smart about that? <laughs> <laughs> Don't consider, you know, pig, pigs and stuff. So it's a horrible thing. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you're here to verify this because it sounds disgusting. I'm glad to hear that it is, in fact, uh, terrible. Yeah, the sons, uh, sons of Noah. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant the vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out his youngest son had what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. He will be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Thank you, sir. Why is this in here? Why include that? It's kind of the, maybe the first sin after the flood. Okay. Why? Yeah, and if and if you don't know, you're okay because no one really knows what happened in the right. <laughs> here. Um, it seems very weird. All of a sudden, we don't know what happened. We know it was something very bad. Why is Canaan mentioned? He's a descendant of Ham. Yes, and Ham was involved in whatever happened. That's what yes. I mean. Like, yeah, there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. Later on, mm-hmm. the ancient Israelites yes. destroyed Canaan. Correct. This is what we're getting at. Um, I will spare you my map-making skills tonight, but the land that we call Israel, the modern country of Israel today, was Israel 2,000 years ago. It was Israel 3,000 years ago. That was not always called Israel. It was called Canaan. It was called Canaan. The land that we call the promised land that Moses, his descendants, inherited is Canaan. And so why mention it here why mention it all the way back in Genesis here I think it's a he's foretelling showing us what's going to happen that's what the whole Bible is it's telling us what's about to happen perfect this is this is exactly it it seems like there's a pattern of sin also when one the father is involved in it visits the Ah. generations down the line yep families and generations or 
Yep, there's. In this case, it was true with Hamlet. Evil. Um, yeah, I gotta be careful I write this. Yes. Um, <clears throat> evil through generations, I'll say. Generations. Yes, this is exactly set up for Canaan and for what you would consider to be the conquest, right? So, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're reading this as a devout Jew, um, you know, in the period leading up to Jesus, let's say it's like, I don't know, seven, eight hundred BC, um, you're reading this going, that's why we had to come do this. These people were descendants of a man that at its root, again, kind of like Adam and Eve, generated a type of sin that was very abhorrent to God and all of his descendants were cursed in a way, accursed. And here it says cursed. Now I want you to remember too that in antiquity, cursed doesn't mean I said the F word. <laughs> cursed means what? If I curse you, what am I trying to tell you? You're going to have evil, and what do I hope happens in the end? He, cursing means I want you dead. I want you to be destroyed. That is exactly what this means. So if we have it all the way back in Genesis 9, cursed be Cain, the lowest of slaves. Ah, that's another good thing. Lowest of what? Slaves. So what does that imply? you know the Mosaic Law, you know that God specifically outlaws slavery between Hebrews, slavery between Jews. It happened, it was abhorrent, but it was outlawed. What it is not outlawed is the slavery of essentially what you would call a Gentile, a non-Jew. Canaanites can be slaves, and they were. Canaanites can be slaves. And we have Japheth here. We have Shem, which you would you would imply as being, um, you know, the Israelites. Japheth, some, you know, this third party that lives with them. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he's not as cursed as Canaan. Shem was the family line where Jesus yeah. came from. That's it. So we've got this good line, <laughs> and we've got the Canaanite line. I must be a Canaanite because I wasn't a Jew. Uh, <laughs> Praise God, I'm saved, right? Praise God, I'm saved. Let's hope for that. That sounds better, doesn't it? Put that on my resume. I like that. This is good. Where are we going? I think that would be us. I think so. There's a map. I have that map, and it shows you all the lines. Oh, okay. Yeah, they came up with that like a couple years ago, I think. Oh, my God. Okay, I had no idea. Ham, I think, was more in the African area. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it's like Ham, Japheth, yeah, was up in Europe, Shem down here. And then uh, Shem was the Semitic people. That's okay. Including gotcha. Persia, Turkey. Israel. Shem must mean Semite. Maybe that's the connection. Semite, Shem. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It might be. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. See, I learned stuff too here. It's not just you guys. Um, okay. Any other final thoughts here as we finish out nine? Well, Noah wasn't completely innocent either. Correct. He drank wine and got drunk. And left, so, him, left an opportunity for the, for the devil. In many ways. You know. <laughs> it shows us that even as godly as Noah was, yeah. he, he can fall. Yeah. He's fallible. I mean, that's a way to say it. 
He, is, he can sin just with the best of them, just like anyone, right? Yeah. Um, I love this about the Bible, that if I were going to make it up, and let's just be honest here, if I was going to make all this stuff up, why in heaven's name would I put this in here about Noah? I would have struck this from the, even if I had heard it, I'd been like, I don't remember that. I need to make Noah as righteous as possible. This makes Noah look terrible. This makes his descendants look terrible, right? Again, if you're going to make this stuff up, you don't include stuff like this. But the fact that it's in here for me says, well, gosh, maybe there's something to this. I, well, this was originally meant for Israel. Yes. So that part is hard because yeah. I don't know to mm-hmm. answer, how to answer that. But it's meant for us too as a whole. Yeah. And it just shows us again that you could be as godly as you you can try to be, yeah. you're going to fall. You're going to, you're going to fail. And then the life, yeah. the blood, is what saved you. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I see it. But the Israel, I don't remember why that would be. And I was, I was just class for that hour. <laughs> I think there's a verse that says that uh, lest you shouldn't think too highly of yourself, mm-hmm. yeah. lest you fall to that very same sin you see someone else fall to. You know? shouldn't think yourself superior. I love that. Because you see someone else falling. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's true. That you may fall to the same one. I love it. It kind of goes along with why Ham uh, was cursed because he like went in and like, you know, went and told other people about what was going on instead of, you know, he kind of thought it was funny. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he thought it was funny, but he wanted, instead of doing something about yeah. it, you know, right. he went and told his brothers to gossip mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. They did something there's no, there's no real good-looking people here, is there? There's, uh, <laughs> there's no saints in this group. No saints in that cave. <clears throat> All right. We are going to skip the table of nations. Again, very important content. Again, don't get me wrong. Um, names that are appearing here, if you want to read your study Bibles, uh, look this up online, have a lot of implication for later in Israel's history. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to skip over that, and we're going to, in fact... Um, go to chapter 11. Who would like to read, and, and here's the key here, um, we are going to read parts of chapter 11. We're going to read chapter 11, the beginning and the end. The beginning, um, verses 1 through 9, and then skipping 27 to 32. Who would like to read those two chunks for me? At this time, the whole world spoke one language, and everyone used the same words. As people moved from the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They said to each other, let's make bricks and bake them to make them hard. So they used bricks instead of stones and tar instead of mortar. Then they said to each other, let's build a city and a tower for ourselves, whose top will reach high into the sky. We will become famous, then we will not be scattered over all the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people had built. The Lord said, now these people are united, all speaking the same language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. They will be able to do anything they want. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. The place is called Babel, since that is where the Lord confused the language of the whole world. So the Lord caused them to spread out from there over the whole world. This is the family history of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot. 
While his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died in Ur in Babylonia, where he was born. Abram and Nahor both married. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, who was the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was not able to have children. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, Abram's wife, and moved out of Ur of Babylonia. They had planned to go to the land of Canaan, but when they reached the city of Haran, they settled there. Terah lived to be 205 years old, and then he died in Haran. I changed my mind. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a map. <laughs> so just so you know, I love to draw maps. They, they always look horrible. Usually in these classes that I do, I always try and draw a map because I, I like to kind of geo-reference myself with the actual world, right? A lot of what we've talked about so far, we don't really know where that happened. We are now in territory where any legitimate biblical scholar would say, we know where this is. And I'm going to show you. And probably, um, if, if any of you, which from the past, you know your geography because you taught me something about what's north of the Black Sea, Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Someone say that? Okay, so I didn't know that. You guys taught me that. So, <clears throat> what's that? No, Arafat is in Turkey. It's an actual This is awesome. Is it? Yeah. Turkey. Yeah. Wow. Another good reason to go. Maybe not soon. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> oh. <laughs> is it? Good weather? Nice palm trees? I don't know. Let's do this. Um, I'm going to draw, so we'll do, okay, we'll do it very simply here. Let me think in my mind. Greece. No, I'm going to not do that. We'll do Turkey. Egypt. Okay, so down here is Egypt. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This would be what you would call Turkey. If I'm right, this is the Black Seas up here, right? Um, Here's where we're talking. You probably all know this. This would be the region that we call Canaan, this tiny little backwater, essentially a road between empires, essentially all it was. Here we have the Arabian Desert. And way over here, and probably not drawn to scale, in what is now what we would call the southern area of modern-day Iraq, is a city, one of the oldest cities on Earth. Certainly in the running for the oldest city in, in, the, in the world. Um, Iridu might be the oldest. Ur might be the oldest. No one's really sure. It is really old. What do we have here? We have what seems like a migration. Now, this is the part of the class. I love this part, and I, I, don't, you know, I don't want to give too much because that's not the point. I'll tell you this. What seems like is happening here, and... What is the date? Again, let me say something about that. No one really knows the date for sure. What we think, and scholars, you know, the further back in the past you go, the harder it is to pin down dates. It's probably somewhere, and I'm going to throw it out, around 2000 BC. If we count the generations in the Bible up to, you know, Jesus and and Moses, um, if we look at historical, archaeological evidence, we've got manuscript evidence, it would all support a migration of peoples out of Ur somewhere around 2000 BC. Now, why am I telling you that? The only reason I'm telling you that is to give you some kind of a reference point in your mind about where and when we're talking. It's probably wrong. It could be on either side of this a few hundred years. It's probably close. 
Why am I telling you this? Because this starts to get at, and again, this is not an apologetics class. I am not going to give you a bunch of a list of things that's suddenly going to make you magically believe. The words I tell you, the Holy Spirit will use to change your heart and your mind, and then you'll believe. I'm not going to let you believe. The Holy Spirit makes you believe. But I'm going to tell you. Archaeologists have found that in around the third millennium BC, so this will be around 2000 BC, there was suddenly, out of nowhere, a springing up of cities in the Middle East. Okay, It seems as though that was associated with the rise of the most important human activity on Earth. Not the, well, yeah, it is the oldest activity. It's agriculture. The rise of organized, deliberate agriculture for human beings to figure out how to grow more food than they could eat was the beginning of civilization. That led to advances in every aspect of of human life, including the rise of cities. Now, you could build a city in which most people lived, did not grow their own food, because enough food was being grown out here in the wastes, you know, in the countryside, that they could import that grain into the city, and they were free. They were now free to not be farmers. They could become scientists and mathematicians and doctors and astrologers and astronomers and everything else in the world because they didn't have to grow their own food. Now we have civilization. What happens somewhere around 2000 BC is this starts to collapse because it, it grows too, too big for its own good. War starts to happen. The cities start to become depopulated. This would coincide perfectly with a biblical account all the way back in Genesis 11 of a family of what would be descendants of Noah fleeing the city of Ur. And, and remember this area, and for those of you who know Iraq, this is an arid land. It was arid back then. The only reason that it sprung up is because the rivers that were fed by mountains here in northern Iraq and Turkey had, had ice and water and snow. They were able to use the canals to build vast networks of farmland that was now arable. That starts to collapse because there's too many people. There's war. It's inefficient. There's too many people fighting. So we have this huge depopulation of peoples out of the cities. Guess where they go? They spread out, and one place they go is Canaan. So this is a good example of history kind of building um, and supporting what we see in the book of Genesis, even 4,000 years ago, we're seeing some, some very clear signs that this was happening. Okay. Where's Up here. So this is a case where names and cities sometimes are intermingled. Uh, Haran is up here. So what we think happened was, remember, why is it up there? Because this is all Arabian desert. Okay? If you're, if you're familiar with this geography, this is the arable land fed by rivers coming from the mountains, the, the natural migration would have followed the rivers. They would have come up here to essentially what is northern Iraq today and then come back down because this, this is all like farmland and there's rivers here too, well, to some degree. So they come up here and then pieces of the family start feeding down into Canaan. That's not the point of this. <laughs> That's not the point of this passage. And this gets back to what I said in the very beginning. The rule in this class is We acknowledge, and again, it's about the Tower of Babel. We acknowledge that much of the Bible has been written in figurative language. That is poetry, um, parable, um, allegory, metaphor. 
because it helps to communicate complex ideas that God just kind of says, it's going to be hard for you to, to kind of relate to in some way, so I'm going, to, I'm going to generalize it. But we must accept that any passage in the Bible, whatever we believe about it being, it, whether we think it's poetry or not, we must accept that it could be literal. I say this because we're at another goalpost. We started with a six-day creation. We talked about the Garden of Eden. We talked about Noah's flood. Now we're at the Tower of Babel. Whatever your personal belief is about is this poetry or is this literal, it doesn't really matter. You must accept, and I insist on this, that it could be literal. If you do that, you are now free from arguing with each other. Was there a real Tower of Babel? Did human languages really start in Genesis 11? It doesn't matter. Why? Because it could be literal. The point is, I want you to tell me, what is the meaning of Genesis chapter 11? Because that's the important part. What is the meaning of 11? Yes. And we would call him a patriarch, and that's a perfect way to segue. Um, This is a father of the Hebrew nation, or father of even the Christian nation. He is, because of a very good point, Abraham. Yes. And in their doing this, they were uh, trying to reach God by their own works. This is it. And, you know, independent of God. You know, they were being independent of God. This is it. I love this, Craig, because you're getting at what I hope as a Bible teacher I can have you do every time you open the book. What is it he's really trying to tell me? That is exactly it. Mankind is trying to become God, if not trying to reach God, on his own. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I can. I got this. That's that's it. That's one of the meanings. Was it successful? If you caught it, if you caught it, it wasn't successful. Uh, what did you notice here in chapter in verse five? But the Lord, what? What does that suggest to you? We didn't quite make it. He had to. I think this is again. I think there's no mistakes in the Bible. I think everything, every even little thing, is here for a reason. I think God is saying, um, "I'll come down to your uh, to your tower, and then we'll talk." I think God is kind of being sarcastic in a way here, saying, "You couldn't even build it to heaven because you were never going to make it. You're never going to make it on your own. So I'm going to come down because, of course, he could, he is here, right? He's kind of making a thing here." And then it's not, like Lewis said, it's not successful. But what is the, what is the meaning of that part about um, of verse 8? Verse, verses 6 through 8. What is, what is God trying to say there? I don't think he's trying to go through it. 
Yeah. I think he's trying to. He can fix the problem if he wanted yeah. to, but I don't think he's trying to fix it. I think he's trying to show, make it difficult. I think. Like, oh, you want to do it? Right. Yeah. Now you're going to speak this language, and this person's going to speak this language. So how are they going to communicate to do that? This is it. Uh, I'll say he's encouraging compliance. <laughs> You're right. He could snap his fingers, and all of a sudden, everyone is just magically teleported to the different. Again, go ahead. He also created different languages and different yeah. nations. Yeah. So this is a root of creation. This is good, and it's all the way in chapter eleven, and we don't even have it until chapter eleven. God is the source of creation for all peoples. And what? I never thought of it like that. That's a good one. And languages. How awesome is it that God is sovereign? Even language has its root in God's creation. Even if you want to call it diversity, right? That has a, that's a very loaded term these days. But it's the diversity of peoples on the ver- the multitudes of and wondrous different kinds of people on the earth are a source from God's creation Himself. It's not even from mankind. How awesome is that? Now, if God makes it, does that sound like something that's important? <laughs> yeah. Nations with borders. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's true. It's true. Um, right off the bat, let's say it again. November 8th is awfully close. Oh my gosh, it can't come fast enough, honestly. I mean, it's really sad. I'm just going to say. I just want to watch a Minecraft video (laughs) with my kids and not see a political ad about something very adult. And you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, Soon, soon we'll be over. What about, let's talk about Abraham for just a moment and then we'll kind of wrap up and do the the application piece. Um, Right off the bat, we are introduced to Terah, the father of Abraham, and Abraham, or Abram at the time. <laughs> the, very, the very first thing we learn about them, for anything else, is verse 30. What do we learn? Already we have someone who has... Um, an issue. <laughs> someone who has an issue. Anytime you read something where someone is lacking something in the Bible, praise God, that often leads to something what? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yes. That's it, Lewis. That's it. It's an issue. It's like, stay tuned for Sarah. I want to know what happens to her. Um, and they set out. And they settled in Haran. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pause there. You tell me, we've been through two chapters now tonight, what, what is the application here? What, what have you learned tonight that you feel like, when I leave this class, I'm not going to just go, oh, that was nice, and, and I'm not saying you are. I'm saying, let's encourage each other. What is it we can take from this to change us over the next week? Application. I think the biggest application that came out of this really is you, 
you got it written down there, um, is we can't do things on our own. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. We try to be God, yeah. and we tell God we don't need you to get to heaven. We can do it ourselves. Uh, yep. Maybe do works or whatever the yep. case may be. You know what I mean? Yep. Whatever that looks like. I love it. Waiting for God, though, can be trying. Mm. I mean, if, you know, if. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yep. I love this. <laughs> I love it. You know, just like not on my own. You know, but it's important to, when you have faith to wait. Be careful if you pray for patience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Anything else? If we try to, well, it kind of just goes along with the same thing, but if we try to do our own thing. Yeah. What then would be the answer to that? Because I think God has made it pretty clear just in the first 11 chapters, 12, you know, 11 chapters here, there is kind of an answer for that. What is it? You're supposed to be in close relationship with God. That's it. Intimate relationship with God. You're supposed to be praying and reading the Bible and knowing the Word. He would be into his word. That's it. Amen. At the bottom, yeah, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. But now it's making more sense. Over here, it says the point, right? Yeah. Whatever. And it says when you live close to the edge, you're only a pebble away from falling. And then mm. before that, the point, oh, where is it? Right. A vital walk with God enables a man to find God's favor. I love so it. I think, yeah. I'm sorry, your name again was Craig? Yeah. 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 I think he hit the nail on the head with that. Mm. It's like, you know, you really got to have a good relationship with God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And continue that walk with God and have, because when you ask for patience, mm-hmm. man, does he teach you. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yep. You can't do it on yourself. By That's yourself. it. You got to have God. That's it. That's it. You know, I just echo that. And I think that the, like the sermon on Sunday mm-hmm. is a good example of when we're trying to do stuff on our own. Nope, we need to give it to God, yeah. whether we have to give it to Him every 30 minutes, every hour, what, every day, whatever frequency you're yeah. trying to take back control over yeah. your life, you need to continually. Mm-hmm. And the more you yeah. do it, the, the quicker you'll stop trying to control your life, and the yes. more you'll, you know. It's important to be persistent, too. Yes. Just stop at one thing, you know. I love that. I love you know that. What, though, I've okay. learned on personal experience. Yeah. I mean, we probably all have. Is the con- the that constant talking to God. So you're constantly. So when you're yeah. patient, right? I'm recently divorced. Yeah. So it's I hate loneliness. And yeah. I'm like, God, what are you doing, right? So it's like, okay, the constant waiting and you wanting to do it yeah. yourself. Yeah. And you have to let Him do it at His time. You're constantly in the Word and you're constantly praying. So it's like He's purposely bringing you closer to Him and then you're like talking to Him and it's like, all right, and then you ask for the patience. It's crazy because it's amazing how that works. Oh, it's almost like you're saying He's uh, <clears throat> encouraging <laughs> compliance. <laughs> well, I'm going to take everything else away. you got nothing to do, but there's your Bible. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's so funny because we were just on the way over talking about my job situation. It's exactly the issue. Um... And, and I think what we struggle with as human beings is there is a role for us to play. Now, remember, when God told Adam and Noah 
he had, a, he had action items for them. They were both to do what? Be fruitful, that's the fun part, and multiply and spread out throughout the earth. There was a role for us to play. And so, so as a Christian and you're reading this and you're thinking, where is, where is the, the balance? Um, it's not about me taking charge to build my Tower of Babel on my own. But at the same time, I do have a role to play in this. In fact, I think that's why we get at what Lewis was saying. God could at any time snap his fingers and things are fixed. But that's not usually what happens. Instead, we have a part to play in this novel. <laughs> we do. And I think what we're getting at tonight, and I'm, I'm kind of growing by hearing, is the focus is we should be on our relationship with God. What is he telling me to do? What, what is the role he has for me? Because it might be very different than what I think I have to do. It, but it takes patience, right? It's not always, again, he doesn't snap his fingers and instantly tell you either. There's a growth thing there. Seek him with all your heart, yeah. soul, Amen. strength, and mind. Awesome. Isn't it awesome? And, and we just need to remember that. <laughs> we just need to remember that. It's so well, simple. We need to remember it at the right time. That's it, bro. That's exactly... <laughs> Maybe I should have my like yeah my smartphone just tell me right <laughs> two o'clock tomorrow that's it that's exactly it okay um, this was great I think we're gonna leave it there we're gonna we're gonna stop and then we're really gonna get going now from here on out with the the nation of Israel right Abraham is the father of the Hebrew nation from its you know um, from from really we're gonna see some more covenants. We're gonna, and again, I want to make this point. Um, God is going to do to Abraham what he has done to the entire human race for who knows how many years leading up to Abraham. Between Noah and Abraham, God was patiently, slowly, and carefully revealing himself to mankind. Okay? What you're going to see now is the history of the world kind of replayed out through Abraham's life. You're going to see how a man literally kind of plucked from obscurity and, you know, nowhere. Suddenly, God will decide, this is the guy. This is the guy. His family is the family I'm going to bless. And I'm going to bless the whole world through his family. But you're not going to see God reveal him all, everything on one night in one snap of his fingers. You're going to find this will be a journey of many years of many trials, many failures, and many successes on Abraham's part. But I think that, again, we'll talk about this would be another application. We can't expect that God's going to answer all of our questions with a snap of a finger tonight, for instance. It's a journey. But the journey is the important part. And what it will mean is that Abraham will slowly come to know who God is so deeply, so deeply, he will be referenced by Paul in the New Testament as being the progenitor, essentially, of what saving faith looks like. Because he will put his complete trust in God, complete trust, and be a model for all of us um, through the, the faith, then, of Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.